0: Hello, I'm Martin Kuppinger, I'm Principal Analyst at Kuppinger Co-Analysts. I'm here with Anders Askerson from Okta, and we are here to talk about NIST2, the upcoming EU regulation, focusing on a very broad definition of critical infrastructure organizations and how this also impacts what we do in identity management, particularly around authentication. Anders, welcome.
1: Thank you so much for being able to, to talk to you, Martin.
0: Yeah, so, so maybe you quickly introduce yourself and your role at Okta and then we jump into our conversation.
1: Absolutely. So um, I've been in the identity business for quite some time, uh, past 20 years. Uh, I'm currently hitting up the technical marketing side for uh, EMEA uh, at Okta.
0: Okay, so we're here to talk about this 2 and I think there's a huge interest in this 2 I also expect that the interest will continue to grow. Because the closer we come to becoming the, the regulations and their national sort of transitions into, into place, the, the more organizations will, will understand, oh, we need to act and we need to act quickly because there's not much time left. So from your perspective, what's in this too? everyone needs to consider?
1: well first of all uh, being a directive the uh the european union has a tendency of of not really providing the recipe uh but rather here's a, a broader framework that the member states needs to comply with we're currently in the process right now where the member states are being or uh, well, they transposing this into national law and and that's something that we need to see what what will happen for yeah. the individual member states but but to answer mm. your question um mm. I think there's there's really a couple of things that are critical. One is the new reporting, uh and the second one is the supply chain. Those are two new things that uh I think will, will uh take a lot of uh essential operators uh sort of with their pants down.
0: Yeah. I, I fully agree. And I think you brought up one one important point, which is um directive versus regulations. Maybe worth quickly explaining this. So there's regulations like the GDPR, which is in fact um so to speak, an EU law versus a directive which mandates the member states to create their own national laws that comply with the directive, which is a bit different. So the, the, the laws in the member states may vary a bit. What is important is that the directive defines the sort of the baseline, the minimum, and member states can add things uh, on top of that, they for instance could define that other types of organizations and industries are in scope and things like that. And this is, I think, just to keep in mind and to clarify what what is behind the directive regulation. So you, you mentioned the reporting. Um, yes. And so, I think this this is a funny area, yes, because um you know I think everyone was scared with seventy two hours notification period with GDPR. Right now we're talking twenty four hours. Isn't it
1: exactly and, and that's, a, that's a very quick turnaround time to report to what's referred to as the competent authority in the individual countries. Uh, but the good thing there is that you don't really need to provide the forensic information, but you need to provide a signal that, you know, there's been a, a significant incident or a breach. And, and this is our preliminary uh, idea and, and scope of it.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think organizations need to be very well prepared. For that, because twenty-four hours is not long. Seventy-two hours for a sort of a more thorough explanation of what happened. So, a first root cause analysis, so to speak. Um, these are all very short short periods, and when you're not prepared, um, you're in trouble. And I think that brings us also to one other aspect, which I feel is is uh, very important to understand, which is fines and liability. Can right. you uh, comment a bit on that?
1: well th- what happens with the with the directive is that they separate two types of of categories uh one being the essential um, or, or critical service uh, providers uh which you know includes things like uh utility companies and and transportation uh, etc and then they 've introduced a new category uh which which is important. Uh, operators uh, and digital providers, and and the fines there are different. But one thing that is clear is is that these fines can hit the highest level of management, including the board members. So there's much more of a personal uh, responsibility and accountability uh, to ensure that the posture and security is is compliant with the directive.
0: Yeah, and. I think specifically as the liability aspect means when you do things fundamentally wrong, um, the the management, so the the board, the, the CEOs, uh, move into a personal liability, so which is really a huge difference. So the, the the pressure is high, which is I think which has a reason because we have seen these uh, attacks on critical infrastructure in the U.S., the Colonial Pipeline attack, and things like that. So we know we are. At risk, and so we we need um, we need a strong security posture. I think it's also important to understand that um, aside of these t- two types of organizations, it's it starts very early. So even an organizations with fifty employees, can be in scope of NIST two. And if you are a bit bigger in one of the industries that are defined, then you're definitely in, in scope of NIST two, which means you uh, you as an organization. Um, should very carefully look at, are we affected by this to And if you are, then you must act now. So when we talk about acting and Okta being an, an identity management company starting in authentication, having added a couple of other areas. Um, what specifically is in this two with respect? To IAM, what has a direct impact here?
1: Absolutely. So, so um, and this too, as you as you point out, it constitutes essentially cybersecurity posture and being able to mitigate risk. So, identity management is a portion of that, but it's a very important portion. Uh, one technical part uh, that a capability that that essential operators needs to and an important operator needs to implement is multi-factor authentication, and of course. From Okta's perspective, we think that there should be a, a phishing-resistant MFA in place uh, because yeah. that's the most secure. Uh, MFA is not the, the silver bullet, right? But that's one of the concrete uh, things that needs to be part of the... the yeah, I, I, think the, I think
0: it even says, when I have the text in my mind correctly, more or less, not exactly in this wording, but it, that's about a strong MFA, which factually implies that you need uh, to have something in place which has multifactors. And which is really state of the art, which means we are, when we talk about state of the art, from my analyst perspective, we are talking about things like phishing resistant and passwordless, um, because everything else, I would say, is not state of the art anymore. So, And it's also interesting to see that this is the the only part of identity management which is um, really directly referred to. So aside of that, there's a lot of... Sort of indirect thing. So at the end of the day, it's very clear you need to have a good risk management. You have to need to have a good cybersecurity push, which also means you at least should be ISO 27000X compliant, which means you need to have a lot of identity management controls in place. But MFA is the thing which really is written into the directive. And I think this is a very important point.
1: Exactly. That that's the one thing that's explicitly called out for. But keep in mind also that the reporting and and the collection of of, of uh, evidence and and forensic data, should there occur a breach, uh, would require a good a good baseline when it comes to collecting that data. And that's typically provided from your identity layer. And that's what we're uh, we have the capabilities and hashed out, you know, uh, all this. Uh, ability to quickly turn around and map to these uh, very tight deadlines.
0: Yeah, um, by, by the way, this, this role of identity is also interesting when we when we look at zero trust. So uh, we had a lot of talk about zero trust in the past three years or so, uh, even while the concept is uh, much older. But uh, with latest with the pandemic, it had seen up, its uptake. Um, when I describe zero trust, I always say at the end of the day, it starts with identity. The entire thing starts with Martin using a device, going over a network to a system or a service, and doing something there and accessing data, et cetera. So identity is at the forefront. And I think also when we look at what happens nowadays, when we look at all the statistics, the majority of incidents are in some way identity-related by phishing for, for, for credentials in other ways. So identity is at the forefront. And I think this also explains why MFA... Has such a sort of a highlighted position in the nist 2 directive because it's where everything begins, isn't it?
1: It is, and and uh, I mean MFA has has proven empirically that that you know you you mitigate the risk with somewhere in the range of between seventy five and eighty uh, percent. Now there's good MFA and there's bad MFA, and, and we've we've in the past discussed that, uh, but but I think. Going back to the whole zero trust, you're absolutely right. Identity is at the forefront and it's really the center of of, of how to be prepared for, for this type of, of directive and once it's being transposed into law. Yeah. Um, one thing I would like to call out, and, and, and that's the supply chain, which is uh, another very important part of this, where the supply chain, you need to guarantee the supply chain's integrity and, and mitigate the risks there. And we've seen a number of, of incidents uh, in Europe where uh, the, the actual providers of payment systems and, and all the rest have completely halted organizations' ability to, to operate.
0: Yeah, and I, I think the, the supply chain risk. Also, we have seen a couple of of major incidents in the past couple of years um, affecting various, also different types of supply chain attacks. So the ones coming in via software, so the software supply chain attacks. The one coming in with via suppliers that are connected to your IT system. So you're, you're sort of your um, value chain <laughs> suppliers, so to speak. Um, and yes, this, this is a, a, a huge challenge here. And we see also, by the way, just as a side note, we see other regulations like the u c r r the Cyber Resilience Act, uh, which then bring in things that are supply chain related, like the need uh, to have a SBOM, a software bill of materials in place and other things. So supply chain security definitely is in scope. And I think it's definitely one of the big challenges, which, by the way, to my understanding also is a... Is a very significant identity management challenge because it means we need to treat access from our partners, all the B two B identities, B two B access, the right way.
1: Absolutely, I mean it, 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 the the identity layer expands into the entire supply chain uh, to to guarantee and, and the integrity of it. Um, so, absolutely, you're, you're absolutely right.
0: So, so what would you specifically recommend then around, for instance, supply chain security?
1: I, I think what we'll see there is um, uh, a, a complete review when it comes to the procurement system or mm-hmm. procurement process. I think we'll see the importance of ISO 27,000 and, you know, ex, uh, certification establishing an ISMS uh, is going to be critical. It's not the, the entirety of what needs to be done, but it, it guarantees that you're in very good shape if you are, certified, if you have established an information security management system and had it certified, you're in good shape for uh, once NIST 2 is being transposed into national law.
0: Yeah, and in some industries like take the automotive industries, we see even sort of partially overlapping, partially adjacent uh, sort of internal certification standards like tisax in, in the automotive industry, which adds sort of a bit of sometimes different angle. Mm-hmm. And uh, which are there to ensure that, uh, to help to mitigating these risks. And I think, yes, I'm absolutely with sure you. We need, we, we need this. So when we go back a bit more to sort of this too specifically, mm. um, if an organization is in scope, what to do first?
1: The, the the first thing is is to identify the risks. Uh, do a gap analysis. Where where's the posture today, and how does that posture expand to the supply chain as well? Because these are these are very uh, big points that needs to be addressed early on. So identify where the risks are, identify where the gaps are, uh, and and evaluate how's your information security management system in place. Is it certified, uh, and, and what's the the gap between the the local. Uh, applicable regulations. versus sense, uh, where you stand today.
0: Yeah, and I think this also helps. Helps, and then what I see frequently is when these regulations come, when findings come, when when fines <laughs> come, then then organizations tend to act a bit in in, in a panic mode or headless chicken mode, uh, where they then just throw technology on. A perceived problem. And I believe it's super essential to to do these things. I personally also am a big fan of starting with a business impact analysis, mm-hmm. understanding what are your critical processes, what can impact them, uh, what are the systems you need to protect most, um, looking at the entire posture up to, to also the, the resilience, including recovery. Are you able to to come back, by, for instance, after a ransomware attack? So really doing these steps thoroughly because this helps you also – Focusing your investment, and not ending up with a too big slew uh, of tools. You anyway will have a bit of a slew of tools in cybersecurity, but at least keeping it a bit bit smaller and a bit more controlled is, I think, very essential here.
1: No, I, I think you, what you're pointing out is is correct. Um, I think doing that preparatory work is is essential, and I think if we look at the different categories of of service providers. Uh, I think there's some providers that are more prepared than others, and and I would argue that the ones that have been subject to the previous version of NIS, uh, uh, they they're probably in better shape potentially, uh, and and are not being caught off guard as much as the the new ones that are being uh, subject to it.
0: Yeah. So, um, one other area um, we we may may have a quick look at is, is privileged access. Any thoughts on that in Mm -hmm. the NIST 2 context?
1: Well, it is, right? Because um, much of the inspiration of NIST 2 is based on ISO 27000. And and within the controls part of ISO 27K, you need to limit the privilege or the access, both access, reduce the amount of access and make sure that it's it's, uh, the accurate access and timely access. Um, so, definitely.
0: Yeah. And where, yeah. you're from Okta. Where does Okta come into play in this entire thing, aside sure. of MFA?
1: Yeah, no, obviously, our platform uh, allows you to control the entire lifecycle around access. Uh, but it also uh, offers the privilege access management control. Uh, where you can ensure that you know privileged accounts, DBA accounts, root accounts, administrative accounts are under control. That they, you, whenever you use them, you can record the session and, and really uh, see what's going on when these high privileged uh, accounts are being uh, utilized. Yeah.
0: Okay, so we, we we know this tool is coming. You need to prepare. Be prepared. First step: check whether you are in scope or not. If you are in scope. Start, act, understand your risks and your posture, all the things, and then start closing the gaps. This is what we need to do here. And there's any sort of final closing recommendation to our audience?
1: So my my closing recommendation is to highlight, if you're a CISO, highlight the importance uh, to your management so that it really gets that support. Uh, I I always say that uh, NIST2 is potentially the CISO's wet dream and worst nightmare, right? Because the requirements are intense, but it also spotlights the the work that needs to be done to protect the European economy and services being delivered. uh, And it it will allocate the necessary resources. And I think that's unique. Uh, But in order to Prepare. If you have your ISO certification, uh, I think you're in good shape. Make sure that you understand the entire supply chain. Make sure that you can deliver on these very intense timelines. Uh, then I think you're you're uh, you're in good shape. If you if you just have everybody on board talking together uh, uh, and, and look at the gaps and, and address them in a, in an efficient manner, you're you're in good shape.
0: Anders, thank you for all the insights. Was a pleasure talking to you.
1: Thank you, Martin. Looking forward to next time.